I am your host, LaCroix Hatcher. Liberation presents Lavinia Hatcher and Dorothy Jenkins. This is a family fair in which I speak with my mother and my auntie as they talk about growing up as preacher's kids in Augusta, Georgia. They will also open up about their health concerns and how they continue to overcome those challenges through their faith. Prepare to laugh and enjoy the show. Howdy folks, we got another uh, episode of Liberation coming at y'all and this one is a very unique episode. This will be a family affair. Uh, I got two lovely young ladies with me who will discuss uh, their life growing up and some of the uh, struggles they've had concerning health and uh, maybe at times their faith. Uh, starting with the young lady from Atlanta, Georgia, introduce yourself. Hello everyone, my name is Sister Dorothy Rouse Jenkins. I'm a member of the Body of Christ. I am from Atlanta, Georgia. My home congregation is the Renaissance Church of Christ. Shout out to the folks in Atlanta and for the lady next to you. My name is Sister Lou Hatcher. I'm a member of the Boulevard Church of Christ in Cleveland, Ohio. All right, so tell me exactly uh, for the people where exactly did you guys originate from? Well, we grew up in the uh, southeastern part of Georgia, Augusta, Georgia. Shout out to Augusta and all the folks on Camille Street. Um, this episode is going to be unique because not only is it a family affair, uh, for those who do not know, I am a grandchild of a preacher uh, by the name of Robert Rouse uh, and the lovely um, and his lovely spouse. Uh, Callie, uh, both are deceased, and um, I have these two lovely young ladies of six. I want them to discuss their life growing up as preacher's kids, uh, and also they've had uh, health concerns in the past. And I know this is an issue not often spoken about in the church, and how to keep uh, members of the body uh, healthy and how to live uh, fulfilling lives as Christians, and not have to worry about health concerns, but we're going to start out uh, with your childhood. Uh, what was it like growing up in a household um, with a preacher? It was quite interesting, to say the least. Um, we were expected to um, be on our best behavior. We had to um, be ready when it was time to go to church at the drop of a hat. We had to be well behaved when we got to church. But at age 10, I had a problem with laughing all the time. So every Sunday, I had to be put in check when I got home. <laughs> what, what was the big problem at church and, and all the laughing? Um, where, how did that come about? Well. Or, or who, who, was, who was the troublemaker? It wasn't. It wasn't me or my sister. Oh, okay. It was other children, you know, picking at us because they knew if they got us in trouble, we were going to be handled when we got home. But we were, we were set as children to do children thing, childish thing. Many times we were caught hitting, passing licks around, and so every time we did something wrong, we were chastised. And I thought it was very unfair in that... Um, <laughs> We were expected to be the best kids when we were just being kids, being normal. Mm -hmm. So we're going to run down the roster. Uh, we have uh, Calvin, Rouse. Uh, it was well. Let me let me start here. We had three boys and three girls. Um, Mom, tell me where you fit into that equation. I was a middle child. I was the the fourth child. Fourth and uh, preceding you was uh, Calvin, Rouse. Ro Calvin is the oldest. Uh -huh. Robert is the second. Mm -hmm. Dorothy is the third. I'm the fourth. Lou. The fifth is Arthur, and the sixth is Jean. Jean. Okay. Okay. So, back to what I was saying. Now, of you six, which one gave the most problem? Now, Dorothy, I expect you to be honest. Which one gave the most trouble? especially at church. My brother Fletcher, of course. 
first of all, he didn't want to be there. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> and so he was, he was uh, probably less, I guess, the lesser of the uh, six that wanted to participate when our parents was, you know, encouraging us, you know, the boys especially when they became a member of the church and lead song service or do something. So Fletcher didn't want to do anything. But he didn't really want to be there. Mm -hmm. But um, I think the girls was pretty much interested in going to church. We had our friends there. Hmm. Most of our friends was at church. And then our church was family-oriented. Okay. Because my father, once he obeyed the gospel, somewhere around about 1953, he set out to convert his family. His um, two great aunts were a member of the church. And then his siblings, all of his siblings was in the church. And their children was in the church. And his father was a member of the church. Later on in life, his father obeyed the gospel. Okay. And on my mother's side, there were also members of the church. My mother's sister, Dorothy, who I'm named for, she was a member of the church. And then her daughter was a member of the church. Okay. So you took me somewhere that I actually wanted to go. So... Robert and Callie, were they already Christians when you were born or they became Christians afterwards? No. They were members of the uh, Baptist Church. They grew up in uh, around Waynesboro, Georgia, Burke County, Georgia, mm -hmm. in a community called Sheriff Bluff. My mother came out of the group uh, Fairfield Baptist Church, and my father came out of a group Daniel Grove Baptist Church. But they received Christ in their life and obeyed the gospel early on in our life because all of us were born in the 1950s there were no one in the 60s so within that particular uh decade all of us was born mm -hmm. uh well well the latter part of uh 40s the 40s like 47 mm -hmm. to 49 and then it picked me up 50 then we had uh 52 53 and 54. so we were all born around about that time so I can remember um, them being a member of the church because when I was three years old, had to be somewhere around 1953, sitting in the little chairs in Sunday school, my feet wouldn't even touch the floor, so I had to be real little. And um, But they obeyed the gospel, and our congregation became a family-oriented church because both parents were able to have an influence on their family mm -hmm. and they all obeyed the gospel. So we grew up with very few people that wasn't family at our congregation, the no. Florence Street Church of Christ. Say that name again? The Florence Street Church of Christ. Are they still in existence? They're in existence, but they're uh, the Meadowbrook Drive Church of Christ. Okay, okay. So, what, to the best of your knowledge, what led to their conversion. Who was converted first between Calvin and I mean I'm sorry, between Callie and Robert? My father. Okay. He was he was uh, baptized first and the Caucasian brethren were very instrumental in helping him. Mm -hmm. I remember there was a brother named Brother McCrushion. I think he was stationed at uh, Fort Garden right outside of Augusta mm -hmm. in Grove Town and he was instrumental in bringing the gospel to my father. Okay. And then as my father got baptized and he shared what he knew, others became interested in being baptized believers. Hmm. And let's see, uh, somewhere around about, um, I guess, by the time we got into that building on Florence Street, hmm. my daddy, uh, some of the brethren, the black brethren from the Simpson Street, Church of Christ in Atlanta, Georgia, Brother Homer Green, was an elder of that congregation. He would come to our home and stay in our home and he would teach my daddy. My daddy was interested in becoming a gospel preacher. So he got a lot of 101. He didn't go to school like a lot of the young ministers today, but uh, he uh, learned from some of the best brothers in the brotherhood. Mm -hmm. And these brothers were coming from the Atlanta area. So granddad was, upon his conversion was this becoming a preacher thing, was this instantaneous or did this take a few years or was this something he was interested in even as a Baptist? I don't know. I don't know whether it was um, instantaneously, but I just know that 
you know how when you first become a baptized believer, mm -hmm. what you believe, you're just so anxious and you want to share it with others. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what it was. He not only, when he received the word, he saved his home too, because he, you know, he had his wife to come with him. You know, mm -hmm. they were both baptized, probably, if not the same time, within the same year. Okay. They were baptized, and then so when the children was born, we were born automatically Indeed. going to the Church of Christ, unlike mm -hmm. those who may not have had that experience in life. Okay. Okay, that makes sense now. Okay, so, all right, so Granddad becomes a preacher. Uh, He's moving the family along. Um, for you guys, did you feel any extra sense of pressure? Ma, you take the question. Of course. Being a preacher's daughter will, will, will come with a lot of pressures. Sometimes the adults are unfair. They expect us to be perfect. And we're um, children. We're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. But at some point, they expect us to be there already. Mm. And that just don't happen. Um how and we're going to talk about the good and the bad so um how hard on it at times was it it's a lot of, it's a screen pressure to be born a minister child because again the expectation is so high and your children not only is you learning in the church but you're learning in life period and a lot of times you haven't got there fathers learning how to conduct yourself how to act you got to learn that too but they expected us to be there already just because our father was a preacher. So that brought a lot of unnecessary pressure. Um, Aunt Dorothy, in your opinion, um, since the children were pretty much split down the middle, did it affect the young ladies more or the uh, boys in the family? I think it, it uh, affected us equally. Okay. I think so because um, with me, I noticed with the boys, in particular the two oldest boys, they didn't mind going to church like at Florence Street, but when my daddy uh, left to start other works or to be the minister, like he, he was minister at several congregations, uh, he may have started out at Florence Street and then he started a work uh, in Waynesboro, Georgia with just seven sisters. And then he was the minister in New Ellington, South Carolina. So whenever we had to travel, you know, when the family had to get together and we had to travel wherever dad was going to preach mm -hmm. on a regular basis, the two oldest boys didn't, didn't want to go. They wanted to <laughs> stick with what they knew. They didn't want to be traveling. You know, they had, they, like I said, we had our friends there mm -hmm. at church and, but you know, the girls was quick to, uh, develop friendships when yeah. you go other places but the boys want to stay right there at mm -hmm. the local congregation but my father had been minister at several congregations so we had to go with him mm -hmm. now he wasn't preaching at multiple places at one time but he would no be you recruited. know as we grew up okay yeah okay um how many congregations do you remember him serving at about four four and when you start in a new work, you need your children because my brothers had to be the song leaders. Mm -hmm. One had to read the scripture and it had to help him because he went and he only took his family and sometimes his aunts. So the, naturally, the males had to do a lot of work in the church. Naturally, I've heard stories. Um, and you said the boys struggled with it. Do you think um, they resented it, rebelled any? It wasn't like rebellious. It was just that they just just wanted just to be where they wanted to be. Mm -hmm. No, they they were never mean about it. Okay. Yeah, never mean about it. Um. And the interesting thing, you know, after I grew up and I got married, mm -hmm. my husband got my husband had got baptized before I got married, and then he went to Waynesboro. So I can tell you about somewhere around about in the. Um, uh, early 70s was when he was in Waynesboro, Georgia, because I remember my husband was there and he would pass the communion or the bread or something like that. And I remember hmm. I taught him how to, since he was a babe in Christ, I worked with him and taught him how to minister to the Lord's Supper. I got him ready when Sunday come, you know, <laughs> so he could help my dad because my dad didn't have much help. Okay. I didn't, By that time, I didn't the two oldest that. brothers had gone to California. They had moved to the West. Uh -huh. So it was me still in the Augusta area because I was in college, in you know, high school and college. But once I got married, then my husband, 
he was there for maybe March, from March to about uh, July. Okay, I didn't and know that. He helped with the, with my daddy in the church. Um, as kids, especially ladies, I know you um naturally gravitate to the uh to the um your father. Um, how much of his time was he able to balance his time between you know working in the church, which you know absolutely takes up a lot of your time, but how was he at um juggling his time with you guys he or all of all you guys in general he didn't mm. the only juggling was when you went with him to church <laughs> there was no juggling he had a, he was a full-time he had a full-time job mm-hmm. he worked at a, a brick company mm-hmm. you know and you know back then they didn't pay preachers like preachers get big money now mm-hmm. so he had to work a full-time job maybe eight or more hours mm-hmm. a day and then on Sunday, uh, whenever church activities, they have to come, you know, like a Wednesday night Bible class. He got off from work, cleaned himself up. We had to be cleaned up, and then we had to go to church to, to Bible class. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing where uh, the only time he would spend time that I can recall was with the church. So that's how I got interested. I got more time with him than most of them. Okay. Because I used to go with him and do personal work, you know. So you're the personal secretary. Personal work. I, I, yeah, I remember doing the church bulletins. He bought me this little Remington years ago, and I, to this day I'm still pecking, but I used to peck, and I used to do the church bulletins, and whenever he would marry somebody, I would sing, or if he did a funeral, I would sing. Yeah, I spent time with him, but it was still on that level. It wasn't like going to the Girl Scouts or... Going to the ballpark. We did have church picnics now. Mm-hmm. Now that's the time he, he did spend with it, but it still was church related. Mm-hmm. When we had vacation Bible school, then we would have this big picnic. And I used to love it. My mother would have this here little red what a wicker type basket, like it was like homemade. But anyway, she would fry that chicken and put potato salad in mm-hmm. there. And here we go to the park. And my daddy loved to eat, so <laughs> oh yeah, we had his time. Mama had his time and the children had his time uh-huh. whenever there was picnic time. Other time it was in the worship service. Mm-hmm. And you had to sit there like a little robot. Mm-hmm. You could not talk. And see, that's where we got in trouble because if we were sneaking and talking, other people would tell on us. Because mm-hmm. we wasn't, I know Brother Ross children are not back there talking. And look at Dorothy and chewing that gum. <laughs> to this day, I'm chewing gum. I love chewing gum, but anyway. So, so Mama, I hear Auntie doing all this work. Where was you at in the process? Well, I was. Um, mm. She's she's the oldest, and you can imagine me being two years younger than her, almost three. Um, she did most of the work, and mm. I did most of the supporting. Mm. And um, don't, don't forget the cooking. You have Mama. And I helped my mom do the cooking. Okay. Yeah. She sure. did most most of the teaching and stuff, and I did most of the cooking. Um, now here's here's something I really wanted to know, and and you guys grew up in the um, during the civil rights era, uh, and you guys were right in the thick of it in the deep south. Um, were there any expectations, at least from the neighborhood, for Granddad to speak out about certain things, or or how did he go about assisting the neighborhood, or did he kind of, or did he shy away from those kind of things? There were no uh, speaking out back then. What he would do, this is what I remember about the community. Anytime anyone lost a loved one in the community, Mm -hmm. he was one of the first ones to show up and visit at home. He and my mother, they would, you know, go and we would go sometime too to pay our respect. We would take food and stuff like that. But uh, the civil rights and stuff like that, we were protected from that. My mother sheltered us from that. Okay. She would, uh, when she was going to take us shopping, she would have a, a Pacific person, a taxi cab driver that would come, and she put her six children in the cab, and we would go that way. We wasn't on the city buses where you had to go to the back of the bus or mm-hmm. anything like that. She she protected us. So Shield us. Shield us. It wasn't that we were... Um, in the midst of civil war. I, I can remember being in college during that time, high school from 1968 all the way up to uh, 1972. 
I can remember some things, but um, we were not mistreated. I don't know if ever being mistreated, because when I went to school, it was segregated. Okay. I okay. went in the, um, like the students today where it's all together. It wasn't like that. We were segregated. I was. Well, um, another thing, because um, I've, I've read and heard different stories about Marshall Keeble and how he would convert many, many people, no matter what their nationality was, mm -hmm. but he also had to keep it kind of hush-hush that he would might be getting, um, let's just say, monetary benefits or things the congregations provided him mm -hmm. from the Caucasian congregations, but he was kind of told not to Mitchell. speak on that. Mm -hmm. um, did Granddad come across anything like that, or, or how, how were our Caucasian brothers towards him um, as far as the gospel go, how su how supportive were they? They, to him? they was very supportive, and in fact, um, they bought books okay. and films, and uh, we was talking about the real and uh, gospel tracts. They did everything to help the um, black churches grow. Okay. So we got a lot of support from the white congregation. In fact, the white, like she was telling you earlier, the one taught him the they, they the one that taught him the gospel. Mm -hmm. They came down in the community and taught the gospel to him. Okay, praise God about that. Um, now we're gonna try to shift towards grandma a little bit. Um, how was she able to sustain because um, that probably was a heavy burden on her, six kids um, and a, a guy that's not home too much. Um, how important do you remember Miss Callie Rouse being in the household? Well, what it is, she taught us. I know I was taught how to cook from age five on up. Mm. So a lot of things <laughs> while she was working, you know, the ones under me, I took care of them and we none of us are two years apart. But she taught us how to um, cook so we could prepare the meals or she would fix the meals, you know, at night or in the evening. And all we had to do the next day when we came in from school was to heat the food up. Mm -hmm. So she she worked. She worked full-time job, and mm -hmm. she came home, like, on Saturday night and cooked her food for Sunday morning. and Some sump tea. She was never, she was never late. We were never <laughs> late to church. I can even recall we didn't, we didn't get a car until 1960. Hmm. So we walked to church. We walked to church. Everywhere we went, we walked. How, how far of a walk was that? Well... When it was Sunset Homes, it was um, what two miles, two to three miles, two to three miles to um to the congregation. Uh, and then the other location, it was maybe maybe a mile, but we walked to church, you know, because mm. we were in the town. It wasn't like um, a rural area. We just okay. we had sidewalks, and you can walk to church. Okay, um, Grandma, what? I know you guys were little, but what kind of impact does she have on, as far as her example or just in her ministry, um, what kind of impact did she have in the multiple congregations that you were at? She would take us, um, she would take us to uh, visit the sick, so we knew that was important. She was on the food committee, yeah, I mean over the food committee at church, and uh, we would um, help her, you know, she knew we would help her at home, so when we went to church, she know that she she could tell us to set things out, and we just helped with the you know like when we had fellowships and stuff, mm -hmm. we helped with the food and stuff like that. So she was very instrumental in um, helping me to stay in the church. Okay. She always would say that um, you have to uh, put the Lord first. Now Lou, remember. My daddy getting on his knees to teach us our prayer, teach us how to pray. Mm -hmm. And I just remember um, my mama praying for us too. I know when we sat down at meals, my daddy, we had to come up with a Bible verse at every meal. Wow. You sat down at the table, he blessed the table, he blessed the food, mm -hmm. and then he'll start pointing. You had to come up with your Bible verse. So that taught us every week to be looking for Bible verses hmm. and you couldn't read it, you had to quote it. <laughs> Ooh, that's heavy duty. 
And I remember one time I, they had something like a, a youth program at one of the congregation. I quoted Acts chapter 2, the whole entire chapter. <laughs> I was determined I was going to make my daddy proud. Brain but nice. I surprised him. He didn't know. I got up. It was over at Deantonac Street Church of Christ. That's a congregation still in Augusta. Mm. And I got up and I quoted Acts chapter 2 with all those names. Wow. That's impressive. Mm -hmm. That's impressive. You did a lot of good things. Um, how was um, how was Miss Callie as far as to the other women of the congregation? What kind of role did she set? Or what kind of not role? What kind of tone did she set at church? She taught them how to be chase housewives to their mm -hmm. husband, and she also taught us them how to like do the communion clean the communion tray up and get that together. And uh, she, she was an example to taught us how to visit the sick. Mm -hmm. The women a lot of times would make, uh, make things or bake items to take to the sick. And she was always doing that and she taught them how to do that as well. Did they pick up on grandma's sassiness? <laughs> Did they pick up on grandmother's sassiness? Sorry. Oh, she was a... She was a sharp dresser. She may not have had a lot of clothes, uh -huh. but the clothes she had, she could put them together. Oh, her hat was pop. Yeah. <laughs> Those hats were something. I, I picked up on that. My sister Jean and I, we would wear the hats. Oh, you didn't like hats, I'm did not you? a hat. She didn't like hats, but we put on them hats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, did, she wasn't supernatural, um, so did, Granddad's work take its toll on her at times. If it did, she didn't show it. Cause we had we yeah. had preachers coming to dinner all the time. Mm. Whenever they had a gospel meeting, they stayed in our home. That means like that we met Brother Wilson at our kitchen table, didn't we? And, and some of uh, some of the renowned preachers like that, we met them. They came to our house. Brother, um, which what's what the older brother you mentioned? Marshall Keeble. Marshall Keeble. Whenever my mother had that surgery somewhere in 1960-something, my mother looked up. We were coming in the door with this preacher, and she was so upset because she felt like the house wasn't clean. But she had that major <laughs> surgery. All my thing was getting Brother Kiva there. Mm, so you, you actually met the man? I yes. met him. He yeah. came to our home and prayed for my mother. Nice. Yes. Huh. I can say I met him, yeah. The rest met of them did. Preachers too. like Marsha Keeble, um, Johnette, Brother Winston, G.P. Hoax, um, McAveen, Brother James Kennedy, Kennedy. Brother Gant. Yeah, there's so many of them. I just so many, we met a lot of those preachers. A lot of them throughout South before. Carolina, too. Mm. And the Rouse Brothers. Our singing Rouse Brothers. We found out later on that they were our family. But they were our family first in Christ. Interesting, interesting. All right, Dorothy, this one is specifically for you. So, because um, at some point you guys, of course, got older. Um, and you astutely mentioned that you never um, left the church. Um, how were you able to maintain your faith? Because I would think, and I know speaking from personal experience, mm -hmm. now that you don't have that heavy umbrella over you if you will um maybe you want to taste some freedom and 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 get out there um how were you able to resist those urges i stayed faithful to the church because i always was involved in the church okay. i went to youth conferences my first youth conference was in 1969 uh along with uh brother james mccall one of my friends we uh we were gonna fly or take the bus all the way to L.A. to go to a national youth conference. But instead, uh, Brother Richard William, one of the ministers in Augusta, he was the minister of the Deantonac Street Church of Christ, he heard that we were going, and of course our parents were going to want them to go along with us, so he drove his car. Mm -hmm. And it was um, James McCall and myself, Brother Richard William, daughter Deborah William, and we drove all the way to Los Angeles to the National Youth Conference. It was hosted by the Figueroa Church of Christ during that time with Brother, uh, what was his name? Oh, I should have looked that up. Figueroa, is that Englewood, Compton, or? No, it was Los, right Angeles. Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. 
Maybe that name will come to me. I've lost this name in my mind, but this was back in 1969. So that must have been like a three-day ride, two or three-day ride. Yeah, we did. We stopped in, I tell you what, we stopped in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, because Richard William had a brother named Warren Williamson. Williamson, or William. His brother-in-law was Williamson. And so we stopped there, and I can remember this brother took us out, took the children, took the kids out to, for bowling and stuff mm. like that. Then the next place we left, and we stopped somewhere, I think it was in Houston, mm -hmm. and this brother was blind. His name was Brother Stewart, Brother G. E. Stewart. I think that was his name, well-known minister. Mm -hmm. And I stayed in their home, and um, I don't know where the Williams stayed, but I know I stayed with them. Jane McCall may have stayed with another, but we were able to meet a lot of people. And then we got back in the car and we kept on riding until we got to Los Angeles. So I was active in going to the youth conferences. Mm -hmm. So I just stayed active. And as I grew older from the, um, the youth conference, then I started attending lectureships mm -hmm. and crusade for Christ. My first crusade for Christ was with my sister, her and her husband came through, and I think it was in Orlando. Yeah, Orlando. And they Florida. took me with them. That was my first crusade. Brother Bruce Shields was the minister at that time. Mm -hmm. Well, at that point, y'all would have had to been in your thirties, because um, I would think I was. Yeah. So how how were you able? How were you able to maintain your faith through those critical post high school years? I thought I would go to hell if a boy touched my head. What you talking about? <laughs> I struggled in my marriage at first. When I first got married, we had been taught about fornication and all of this stuff. It was still a sin. I couldn't see the difference once I got married. Then I had to go through a, a, a mind change. When I tell you I was in, I didn't want to go to hell. Uh -huh. They preached those fire and brimstone gospel back in those days. Uh -huh. It didn't take much for me, so no. I wasn't leaving the church. <laughs> okay, so mama, you went the opposite direction. <laughs> no, I didn't go the opposite, but one thing, um, one thing about it, um, when you're growing up in the church, you have a list of don'ts. It never had a list of do's. And sometimes kids resent that because that's all you can hear is what you can't do. Mm -hmm. And you feel that you're doomed regardless of what you do. So you sometimes, your mind will take you, well, what's the difference? Well, that shit, I'm going to hell either way you're going. If I do right, if you do wrong, if you still, if we had that attitude that um, everything was a sin. Mm -hmm. And when, um, again, when you're being taught that all you was taught about is sin never was taught about things that was not a sin but you definitely was abreast with the things that are a sin so it wasn't balanced so as a result kids grow up thinking that the church of christ is all up so a church that's where you can't do anything and then they turn to the world they didn't teach us how to stay with the lord and um that's very important right now and the day is missing. And also what's missing in the church now, you never hear about hell. We hear about heaven, but I think it's, um, they should talk about hell too, because hell is real as heaven is real. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they do the, um, the feel good sermon. So people, they live, they become comfortable in sin because they, they haven't been told about there's a hell and that you're going to spend eternity in hell. And that's, I think that's what's really missing in the church today. So, we're going to stick on you for a second, though. So, you didn't have quite the conviction of auntie. Um, not to go totally specific in details, but what made you tiptoe away? Like I was saying, you was told all the things that you can't do, and all you can see is a lifetime of can't. You're not gonna ever be able to do anything, so you're like, what's the day? You give up on it. Had they taught you that there's joy in Christ, okay, 
that would have been a different. That there's joys, and he came that we had life and have life more abundantly. If we'd have heard sermons like that, that would have stirred me to realize that I could have joy in Christ. And I looked at it almost like the fair, um, like the law. Mm-hmm. It was like under the law, you, all you can do is you, everything you do, you doom to hell, and that's where I saw it. Was there, um, and be frank and honest, um, um, was there any allure? Because I'll speak for myself. Um, I like to go partying. I like to kick it. Um, drinking came with that. Um, so, Ma, what is maybe one, um, let's just say one worldly type thing that you gravitated to um, that became a stronghold? Like, basically, what you're saying is like going out and you have to party and um, dancing and, you know, just reveling, having a good time, banqueting. So, once those things became um, not so interesting, um, what was that thing that brought you back to the Lord's Church? You know, the, um, a lot of times people will um, come back to church because they've been beat down and they've been had a life so bad that they, had, they felt there's no other recourse to go but to go back to the church. But the Bible always say the goodness of God works repentance. Mm-hmm. And God was so good to me, I had no reason not to serve him. So when I looked at his goodness and his grace and his mercy, I couldn't help but go back home. So tell, tell the audience about the story you told me um, once upon a time. I think I might have been a baby. And um, somebody came a-knocking at your door. Tell the folks about that story. Oh, um, like it's, like you said, you was a baby. I was out in the in the yard. I was in my flowers, and then the Church of Christ bus came by Mount Pleasant, and the minister was Whitley, um, John C. Whitley from out of Texas, and he was looking for a church member that was living on my street, and when he came up, and he asked me. Did I know that particular person? And I told you, you got to tell me the cars, or you got to tell me what their children name, and I could identify by that. So he told me, showed, told me what kind of car he was driving, and I was able to tell him where they lived at. And at the same time, um, being from the south, we was taught to be hospitable. So I was cooking. I had dinner on the stove. And at the same time, I was doing my flour. I offered him to come in and have some tea and cake. And he did, and he, he was looking for an opportunity to say, well, if I come in, I'm some good chance to tell her about the Lord. Mm. So um, after he had the tea and the cake and we got to talking, of course, he brought up the church. And he was at telling, he, he passed me his card and some tracts about the church. And he was asking me to come to the church. And he was giving me the hours of service and everything. And then he started telling me more about the church. He said, are you familiar with the Church of Christ? And I looked at him and I said, the one Lord, the one faith, and the one baptism. <laughs> he said, oh my goodness. I said, the one hope of their calling. And he said, I said, I'm a member of the Church of Christ. I just strayed away. And so that was like almost as if God had sent him to come to my community and to bring me back to the saving knowledge of the Lord. That's beautiful. I hadn't heard that yeah. story. That's a beautiful oh, story. Oh, you've been holding back. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, she told it to me. I don't remember. Okay. Mommy got secrets. Mm-hmm. All right. So now we're shifting into personal health things. Um, um, what do you think... And Auntie, we talked a little bit about this previously. Um, what do you think were some of the things that contributed to um, weight gain? Because as a young kid, I remember, especially you, being fairly um, slim. Slim. Okay, that's a good word. 
Well, uh, somewhere in the 1990s, I developed um, an autoimmune disease where there were um, a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. We didn't know exactly what it was called, um, but I know it started in both of my wrists. And uh, they started giving me injecting uh, steroids. Mm -hmm. And that's what started my weight gain. You know, my face blew up and mm -hmm. just everything. And that's the only way I could be able to use my hand. I was in a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. And then on down the road, um, they finally, um, I think they diagnosed me with arthritis and it was that osteo, is it osteo? Uh, arthritis, okay. not the rheumatoid, but osteo. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I lived a life of a lot of pain, you know, in the joint area. Mm -hmm. And then somewhere in 2008, I was diagnosed with a disease called fibromyalgia, mm -hmm. and that's a widespread muscle disease that affect you, your muscles and you hurt. Everywhere where the body has a muscle, all those muscles mm -hmm. can be affected by it. Mm -hmm. And then, like I say, the most thing they would do, it, if it was in your knee, they injected you with steroids. Mm -hmm. If it was in the shoulders or whatever, and then it's just, that's how the weight came on me. Mm -hmm. What about you, Ma, what would you say? You gonna blame me, ain't you? Um. After having, yep, <laughs> being pregnant, having a child t um, 10 years apart and gaining the weight, carrying the baby. And um, and after you have the kids, you're not at work, you're all at home, you're not doing a lot of exercising. And you have a tendency to gain weight. But um, sometimes if, if you're not careful, you're not um, paying close attention to it. You go from one size up, up, up until you see that it's gotten out of control and it's noticeable, mm -hmm. and to the point where it do affect weight, do affect your limbs, your joints, and your breathing. I had a problem where I used to snore, um, but once I lost the weight, the snoring ceased, the pain from my knees ceased. Um, a lot of thing, a lot of things that cause you to have pain sometimes is related from um, being overweight, carrying too much weight on your joints. Um, so, of course, I know, you know, the years, you know, struggling with weight gain. And then I remember distinctly you were having some mobility issues. Um, and sometimes um, you have the desire, but the will isn't always there. Um, what was the breaking point for you? Like what became where it became enough was enough? Oh, when it came enough was enough when I was at work and um, the room started going around. And I was blessed to be working in a place with all doctors. I ran their cafeteria in the doctor's lounge mm -hmm. in the Cleveland Clinic. And I was one of the doctors, an African doctor was coming, his name is Dr. Tufo. And he was coming through the lounge, and I was holding on to the cash register. And I called him. I said, Dr. Tufo, can you come here? And he said, no, i got to go up to the patient. I said, I can't turn loose this cash register because I'm dizzy. And he came over to me to see what was wrong. And he asked me, did I have high blood pressure? I said, no. He asked me, did I have diabetes? I said, no. And he said, I'm going to ask you another question. Have you been taking naps lately? And I said, yes, lately, every day when I go home, I take a nap. And he asked me where was the salt packages. So I showed him where the salt packages were. And he opened up the salt package and told me to stick out my tongue. And he sprinkled salt all over my tongue. And I started shivering. Mm -hmm. And from that, he can tell that I'm my metabolism. Um, potassium. My potassium was, was low. Mm. And he said, I don't want to frighten you, but having low potassium is bad as having high. Both of them will put you into a heart attack. Mm -hmm. So we talked about that and sugar. And he said, if you can just fast off of sugar and get the sugar out of your um, blood screen, you will see a difference. So he told me to try not to eat sweets for at least five days. And I was reluctant to do that. But after I did it, I made five days, not only five days, I made 10. Hmm. And I just stopped eating sweets. And like he said, the urge for 
sugar makes you crave everything and the craving stop. Mm. And that's when the craving stops, you're not eating as much, you don't care to eat as much, and the weight started coming off. And then I coupled it with exercise. I like to walk. Mm -hmm. So I started from walking a couple of blocks up to now, I'm up to about five miles a day. I can mm. do five miles a day. Sometimes I break it up, I may do two and a half in the morning time, and then I do two and a half at night. So at that moment, um, let's just say when the room starts spinning, that room spinning moment till now, how much weight have you shed? I have lost 68 and a half pounds. You go, girl. Wonderful. <laughs> I went from a size 24 down to uh, I'm down in a 14. Okay. Yep. Say that then. Mm -hmm. All right. So, Auntie, um, we talked. You talked about the uh, medications. Um, what has led to your transition? Um, because you also had sleep apnea. Mm hmm. Um, and you also had mobility issues. Um, I'll let you speak to that, but um, and, and tell the audience how you got to the point where you were able to um, change my life. Change your life because you think you're a supermodel now. Oh no! <laughs> well, one thing I got sick and tired of being sick, mm. and that motivated me to uh, do something about it. I was always asking everybody I came in contact, even with the kidney specialist, I would ask her, oh, what can I do to just lose some weight? And the first thing she told me, if you just stop with diet sodas or artificial sweetener, mm -hmm. you start there, you can easily lose 20 pounds. So I left there feeling good and I stopped with that first. And I had lost 20 pounds, but by the time I got to um, my primary doctor, I was going in, you know, because my knee was hurting, you know. I was already on a walker. I was on a walker from 2012 to about the beginning of, within the four months of 2019. Wow. Okay. That's how long I was on a walker. And the walker was because my lower back hurt. I couldn't stand. Mm -hmm. I couldn't wash dishes. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even get in the shower without some type of assistance. Wow. And my health had just gone completely down. And the way I did, I decided that uh, I just started asking everybody. And I started reading everything I could get my hand on. Mm -hmm. So like I say, um, in 2018, November of 2018, I went to the doctor because my knee was hurting. I was on a walker. Now you're already on a walker, but if something is hurting, you still can't, you know, move because you hurt him. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, just sitting around, you can't move, you can't stand, there's no exercise. So, mm -hmm. when I got like that and I couldn't cook, my husband went out and bought me processed food all day long, you know. <laughs> People bring fast food in and when I eat it, I will feel bad, but I couldn't tell whether it was the medicine or what it was. Mm -hmm. But I knew I was getting sicker by the minute. So, the next thing I did, I, 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 uh, seek the Lord in prayer. Mm. I said, um, I just, I said, Lord, just please help me. I said, I'm getting sicker and um, I'm getting bigger. And I say, it's hard. And I just started asking him, I said, please just put someone in my path that would uh, help me. I'm seeking and I don't know which direction to go in. And so, like I said, November 2018, I went into my um, doctor's office, primary doctor, and he was a new doctor for me because the uh, the one that I had had been killed. Uh, he was a, he was a biker and he had been hit by a drunk driver, oh. and he was killed. And he had already told me that uh, I could reverse my type two diabetes. But then after he passed, and then I was going in to see other doctors. They said that's not true. You can't you can't reverse your diabetes type two diabetes. And this particular doctor, when he saw me, he said, "What are you doing on that walker?" I looked at him like, oh, you crazy, what is it about this walker he doesn't understand? Right. I said, I'm definitely not on it because I think I'm cute. That's the first thing I told him. And then he said, okay, okay. And then he, he had me come in the office and sit down. And I thought it was a strange interview from the very beginning. The man wouldn't even mention the pain or nothing. He started interviewing me. 
asked me, if you had to have breakfast, what would be better? A bowl of hot grits or orange? I said, of course, a bowl of hot grits. <laughs> well, because <laughs> I said, because that's what my daddy fed us the whole while we were home. We had hot grits every day. I mean, we didn't know what no hot, no cereal was, cornflakes and all this stuff. Kids eat that. We had grits <laughs> every day. So he said, beep, like that's the wrong answer. Uh -uh. I said, well, I'm most certainly not going to have that orange because that's too much sugar. I'm a diabetic. Uh -huh. And that's the, that was the beginning of understanding food. Mm. He said that the, um, the grits were processed. Although it's made from corn, it's got other stuff and they had to get it in that form for it to be grits. Mm. He said the orange would be better for me because it was natural. It's not processed. Natural sugars. As opposed to yeah. orange juice. No, the orange, the actual fruit. As yeah, opposed yeah. to the orange juice, which would be processed. Mm -hmm. And he asked a couple of more questions like that. And then he went on, but you know, when I left that doctor off, I never did get nothing for my knee. <laughs> he just kept on talking and talking and, and I was, mind game Yeah, he, that's what he did. <laughs> and then he said, wait, just wait right here. And he went into his office somewhere and he came back with some information for me to read. He said, don't do anything with it. Just put it away and you can read it when you go home. Mm. And we just kept on talking. He assessed that uh, a lot of my problems was the weight. He didn't want to say it, but I guess he could look and say, you know, mm. you're carrying all that. It's going to make, you know, doctor know your joints going to hurt because of the weight. Right. But I didn't know it. Matter of fact, I, did, I, I knew I was getting bigger, but I didn't thought, I didn't think that it would be noticeable, you know, mm. and stuff like that until I actually started losing the weight. By the time I got to him, I was 257 pounds. But remember, I had lost 20. Wow. So you see how much I was, and now I'm, I've wow. lost 80 plus pounds. Okay. Since January the 1st, 2019. Wow. Yeah, I've been on my plan now 30 months, close to 30 months. Yeah, you got the right to act like you're an Instagram and it's, Instagram it's, model. And uh, it's like a whole food, 100% whole food plant based. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Congratulations to you both. Very proud of you both. Thank you. Um, we about to wrap it up soon. Uh, so, for the two of you, uh, because um, I don't want to call it church culture, uh, but we frequently, especially in the um, I'll just speak to what I know, the African-American community. We go to church, we go straight to dinner or some type of restaurant. Or it's been a long day at church, you just go out to Popeye's or something, you just grab it. So it's something that becomes habitual. Mm -hmm. uh, so now that you've done the things you've done, and um, I say all that to say this, that you guys probably weren't the only. So. Uh, give the audience, because um, I'm sure there's ladies that want to know, what did you guys in particular do? Uh, well, yeah, what did you do and how do you keep the weight off? What I do, I uh, prepare all meals at home. Okay. Um, usually I will uh, do my meals on Sunday for the week. Okay. I always started out with uh, I would select a, a leafy vegetable, a dark green leafy vegetable, mm -hmm. and I cook a big pot of that using vegetable broth, no meat. And then I will also choose a dry bean from pintos, peas, butter beans, black beans, red beans, all dry beans, and I will put them in the crock pot and cook them so. The meal had to have um, leaf, something leafy, mm -hmm. the beans, and then I would add a grain. Uh, I would use do brown rice. I have a rice cooker. I fix brown rice, or I may do wild rice. Mm -hmm. So I would set my meal up for the whole week. And the thing is to be have your food ready so that when you get hungry, you're not tempted to stop anywhere. Mm -hmm. okay. So there were no eating out for me. Okay. Plus, when the pandemic hit, you know, we wasn't going anyway. And I was able to maintain everything through the pandemic. Yeah, most just, people put on weight. Uh-huh. I was able to maintain mine because I had already had the mindset and how I was going to plan my meals in advance. Um, 
And you tend to stay away from meat now, correct? I think after being on my plan for about eight months, mm -hmm. I talked to my doctor because I went to Jamaica. I was telling him I was going to Jamaica and I said I wanted to try the steamed fish when I got there. And so he told me it's okay to add the fish, mm -hmm. but only once a week. But I tell you, brother, I've had fish every day for two, 14, 13 days of fish every day. Bad mama. No, that's good. Because it wasn't really limited. He just didn't want me to feel that I had to have meat every day. So I think that was a limitation, but once a week. But salmon is good for you. Well, according to our conversation, you said you was about to grow fins. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I'm going to go back to you know, got detox. Yeah, but I mean, this has been great. All the restaurants we visited, we were able to maintain our diet. Mm -hmm. We didn't eat nothing we weren't supposed to. Me and my wife, a few years back, we watched on Netflix, and you may want to check this out. Mm -hmm. It's called Forks Over Knives. I've seen it. You have? Mm -hmm. And the minute you said that type 2 diabetes couldn't be reversed, I instantly thought of that movie. Matter of fact, one of the ladies, I believe, believe the black lady in that mm -hmm. show, she lives about 15 minutes from here. Really? And she's the one who had her diabetes reversed. Mine is reversed. And a lot of those doctors were from the Cleveland Clinic mm -hmm. in that show. Um, so, Ma, what are some of the things that you do? Uh, you, you told us you walk five miles a day. How, what do you do with your diet? The number one thing is, like, meal planning. I make sure that I have um, the green vegetables and salads and I mostly my 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 meats. I do. I'm still. I still my proteins are chicken and fish. I don't do the pork. I don't do the beef. But ahead of time, I plan and make sure that I have food in the refrigerator that would not cause me to go off. Because if that's the, when you get hungry and you don't have what you need, you gonna grab something to eat, and that in in the mind tell you just eat something. Mm -hmm. And um, half of your battle is to have the food in the home and being prepared so that when you do healthy snacks, yeah, yeah and to stay away from sodium, like drinking pop and and um, and things oh, of that nature, and um, milk. Um, I'm, um, I have a disease that I'm allergic to a cow, the spores, the something in a cow that locks my intestine mm. so I can't help um, beef so that was good so I cut the beef out, beef out so now I just only do fish and chicken mm. and all my my vegetables are steamed or broiled mm. or baked I have um, one thing I want to go back with an um, African doctor did tell me say cut out all the whites the white flour, yeah, the white rice, the white milk, yes. and the white sugar. Mm -hmm. If you can get off the white things, you'll see a tremendous change in you. And he said sugar makes your antennas. Sugar makes you crave all everything. It makes you crave sweets. It makes you crave fried food. It's just the number one thing to cause you to crave is sugar, processed mm -hmm. sugar. So when I got off the sugar, and it, it, the rest was easy. Because we sometimes we don't um, look at it as when you drink when you eating grits. If you tell yourself when you eating grits, you um, eating a cup of sugar. If you eating bread, you eating sugar. Right. All that when it breaks down to your body is turning into sugar. It's like having a cup of refined sugar. Measure a cup of white refined sugar and just turn it up. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can get that mindset and you can see what that is, yeah. a lot of people say, oh, I would never drink, I would never eat sugar straight out of the cup. But every time you eat grits bread. and bread, that's exactly what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You're Anything eating processed white, like eating sugar. Rice, grits. And plus, there's no nutrients in the white rice. And it's like she was saying, it's too, she do the wild rice or the, um, the brown oh. rice. That's where the nutrients is no nutrients in it, cause the white rice is bleached. But it takes, so we do the healthy grains like corn, beans, and stuff like that. No, I'm trying to get away from breads myself. Mm -hmm. yeah. And portion control is yeah, portion. don't ever be, be portion control. 
um, everything you eat has calories in it, mm. but most of the thing you need to look out is for fats. Yeah. Fats, salt, and sugar. Mm -hmm. And if you can push and control you, because it's better to eat five small meals than one big meal. Because if you eat small meals, your body has some time to break it down. And you can break it, but if you're eating it all at one time, it takes a long time for your body to break that down. So that was helpful for me to know that I could eat in small portions and won't be hungry. How does your um, your new and improved health, um, how does that play a part in your um, faith? It helps mine because, you know, I'm allowed to tell my story as far as my health. I don't care if I'm in the grocery line or wherever. And then once I tell them what has happened to me and how good the Lord has been to me, when I get through with a testimony, and I've already shared the Lord with them. Mm -hmm. So I use mine as a ministry. Um, I send my food plan all over the world, to other countries to, you know, men and women. I have a, a, a Facebook page called DRJ Healthy Cooking on Facebook. And it shows me preparing the meals, you know, you can see the greens, you know, cooking and all of that. And all of that stuff. So it's it's really neat that um, I have um, maybe 126 uh, members of that page that are following me. Everything I ate out, I posted on the page to show them that they could um, go out and pick healthy choices. Mention that page one more time. DRJ Healthy Cooking, C-O-O-K-I-N. Okay, okay. Um, I'll send you an invite. Gotcha. Okay. Um, between the two of you, and you've kind of already just spoke to it, um, but have you ladies decided to start any type of uh, weight loss uh, ministry within your congregation as well as get the ladies and do, you know, walks or whatever? Anything ever cross your mind to something like that? No, uh, I'm a member of Lady Prayer Warriors of the Church of Christ. Mm -hmm. And we, we have teams within that group, and we have a health team. And okay. so they post healthy things for the ladies to uh, look at. Several of them are on my page, too. Okay, okay. Um, and I, this would be the last one. Um, what would you say to all any of the younger audience that are preachers kids um what's the one thing you would tell them um as far as some of the experiences they may be going through uh, give them some advice on how to deal with that don't be bad from my <laughs> say that again the best advice um I would give um, preachers' kids is to be themselves, be respectful, just knowing that you're a work in progress, even though people may look at you and expect you to be perfect. But God don't expect you to be perfect. So number one, just be yourself. Try to treat everybody with the same respect and dignity that you want to be treated. And just love the Lord in prayer. And, you, and start your day off at, at with prayer. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Whatever problem you may have, be it school, work, friends, church, boys, always pray about it. God has an answer for it. And to just enjoy it because um, he, he don't expect you to be perfect. But he could, again, you got to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that takes a progress, take time. And it also take uh, time because when children are in the church, they're following mama and daddy's faith. Mm -hmm. But somewhere in your life as you grow older, you're going to develop a love for Christ for yourself. And once that happens, then, you know, you're more uh, tending to be um, more faithful to the Lord because you know the Lord for yourself, mm -hmm. not through mama or not through daddy or through your brothers and your sisters. And like she was saying about prayer, that's why I'm a lady prayer warrior because I don't do anything without praying. When I went on my food plan, when I got on the tonic, I prayed. I asked for strength. 
I ask for boldness, courage to do whatever I need to do to heal my body. Yeah, I mean, it took a lot of discipline for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I naturally know what she's went through. Um, I had to go I'm through it by impressed. myself because I didn't have no one in my home supporting me. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for your time, ladies. Thank keep, you for keep up my your hard pleasure. work. My pleasure. So glad having you. Thanks for having us. That's going to close the show. Uh, Thanks and stay tuned for new episodes. Thanks for checking out this episode of Liberation. Subscribe to the show and follow Liberation on Twitter and Instagram at liberation underscore pod. Liberation is sponsored by Doodlebugs by DeVita. Thoughtful handmade jewelry designs inspired by love, peace, and unity. Shop Doodlebugs at doodlebugsbydevita.square.site. And for the Etsy lovers, doodlebugsbydevita.etsy.com Use the promo code LIBERATION and get 10% off your order. Follow Doodlebugs on Twitter at doodlebugs for you. That's doodlebugs, the number four, the letter U. And Instagram, doodlebugsbydevita.com